people make fun of GPT wrappers, but there's a lot of value that's being generated by GPT wrappers currently. If you want to, if you're young, you're a builder, you're trying to, to make a name for yourself, build a GPT wrapper. I think that's something that will teach you a lot about building a business. It might not be a billion dollar company. People might question your moat, but at the same time, you'll learn a lot that you can definitely transfer later on to when you're building a much larger company. And at the same time, you make a ton of money. What is a problem that everybody thinks is X, but I know is actually Y? So like for video AI, like everyone thinks it's a model problem, but I actually think it's a developer tool problem. I have a job. Steven has a job. We are both of us not making a living out of the little things that we build. I don't think I could make a living other than like through Patreon or something, which is hard out of those things. Like that is completely different from like someone like, I don't know, like Peter Levels who has like five things and he just like makes them 1% better every day. They're not open source. They're like, he's building a business. And all the people that you see on Twitter making cool things are not. Hey everyone, welcome to the fourth episode of the Backdrop Podcast, a show focused on helping builders figure out how to bring new things to life in frontier tech. This conversation was recorded as part of 100 Builders, a four-week program to support people building open tech at early stages in crypto and AI. And today we are talking about where to build next in AI, with three builders that each have a pretty interesting vantage point on what is coming just past the current horizon. And it goes without saying that September 2023, when this was recorded, it was like just about the hardest possible time to predict where the big opportunities are coming next. The foundational tech in AI is literally changing every day. The takeaway here for me, though, wasn't so much about trying to predict precisely where to build. Although we did get into the weeds on video AI as a new frontier and some opportunities in dev tooling. But what I think you see from these three builders who have all been very successful in their own way through this frothy market is how they think about navigating that and some time-honored principles that are as or more useful for builders now than ever. Stuff like keeping maintenance costs low and thinking from first principles about what an AI-native approach really means in product development. All right, let's dive in. Let's start at the obvious place to start, which is just a little intro of, of these three you know, awesome builders. So maybe, uh, Miguel, you're, you're nearest on my screen here, so I'll, I'll kick it over to you. Yeah, hi, everyone. I'm Miguel. Uh, I work at Wallcoin, which is trying to, you know, build civil systems, build a big economic network, build, solve the problem of bots in the internet, all of those things. And then on my free time, I just like to, you know, build things. Uh, I'm actually also part of the program trying to build something in there. So I'm one with you guys. Um, yeah, just like enjoy building in crypto, in AI, in literally anything that comes my way that might seem interesting and have a lot of fun doing it. Sweet. Maybe we'll kick it over to Rick. Hey, guys. So I'm Rick. Um, I'm the co-founder of a company called Guru. Uh, we, we basically help developers build and deploy um, video AI apps. Um, to give you a quick, this is kind of like um, what one of our apps looks like if you want to um, see very quickly. Uh, like we have this NFL coach using us to analyze a bunch of draft prospects and like what they're doing in the video you can see here. Um, this is some NFL player. I'm not sure exactly which one. Uh, but yeah, so, and before that, you know, I, um, I worked on AI developer tools at Amazon, on Alexa, um, and at a few other startups, and just really passionate about building tools for developers. Sweet. All right, Stephen, you're, you're last. 
Hey everyone, my name is Steven. I'm currently at Versal. Uh, I'm a developer advocate at Versal. I've been there for about two years now. Uh, really resonated with a lot of what Rick said about developer tools, because that's literally my brand butter here every day. Um, and I basically, what I do here is basically I build a lot of starter kits and templates for people to learn how to use technologies like Next.js, Versal's edge middleware, edge functions, all this kind of fun stuff to build really cool products. And on the side, I also maintain open source projects like Novel, which is like an AI text editor, rich text editor on the web, and also Dub, which is an open source Bitly alternative. Uh, both projects have a couple thousand stars on, on GitHub and has been, um, I, I've been really proud to see them inspire uh, folks to build their own products uh, in open source, uh, as well as in just SaaS in general. So yeah, very excited to be here to, to share some of my learnings and to learn from you guys as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, we wanted to, to chat today about kind of, yeah, just where, where to build next. Like what are some interesting opportunities that are kind of coming down the track? Um, and maybe like, let's you know start with just a, an open-ended question of like, what, what's exciting to you all at the moment? I, I think, you know, all three of you have pretty interesting vantage points on not just what you're building yourselves, but a, a bunch of other things that you're kind of seeing. So um, I don't know if he wants to maybe kick it off, but it's just things that are inspiring you at the moment. I can go. Um, for me, obviously, I think it's going to be a little overrated at this point, but it, building AI native apps, I think there there has not been a better time to do it now because of just the technologies that are available to folks. It's really accessible stuff like function calling by OpenAI and stuff like fine tuning. Um, those stuff really allow you to build AI powered user experiences without having to, you know, dedicate an entire team two quarters to figure out. You can literally do it in a weekend. And just I, I think I saw this tweet recently by uh Guillermo Rauch, who's the C, uh, founder of Rizal, but he was talking about how AI native products are the future. And a lot of people, other people have been talking about the same concept as well. So it's really important to be able to figure out like what's, you don't necessarily have to build like an AI native, uh, like an AI product per se, but integrating pieces of AI into your existing product um, gives you an edge over other competitors in your space if you move fast. Um, and just uh, the APIs that are out there, it just makes it so easy to do nowadays. And I've built a couple of templates in this space. So um, yeah. That's uh, really interesting to me. Yeah, definitely would. You know, I spent some time researching this call, just going through some of the stuff that you've built recently, and it's. I mean, I think for everyone, it's just crazy to see the speed of that you're able to kind of put you know put new things out there. I think it's testament to just the quality of of the you know tech for for builders these days. But um, yeah, Miguel, Rick, any, anything you know that's you know top of mind for you right now. All right, I'll just go. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for me, uh, my, um, you know, uh, this is probably like I've been in AI developer tools for like uh, like um, about 10 years now. And this is definitely uh, the most exciting. Like, this is the most interest I've seen from average developers. Uh, when I say average developers, I mean, just like, like, you don't need to have an ML master's or a PhD. Like, you're able to just like now the, the, the average AI practitioner is an app developer, not an, not, an, not an ML engineer, which is really the first time I've seen that happen. And now we're seeing this explosion of creativity on um, the space is echoing with, like what Steven said. Um, my personal interests have always kind of been in what's the next modality. Um, my you know, modality being text, video, audio. Um, you know, this is just a trend I've seen with every generation of AI where everything starts with text. You know, text is the universal input. It's very interesting. 
Um, but you know, the next thing, uh, but like, uh, the new, uh, but then it quickly jumps to like new modalities that we want to experiment with. So the two that I'm really interested in, like one is audio. I think generative audio has gotten really good now. And I think there's going to be, um, some creative app developer that figures out how to build an awesome social experience that like really does undercut like Spotify, Apple music, um, in this interesting way. I think it's a good time to be a developer in that space too, because, um, there's a lot of competitors in the space between like assembly, um, 11 labs, um, the Azure and AWS services, uh, OpenAI and whisper and all that. So basically what that means for you is that it's very cheap, like they're all competing on price and, um, they're all pretty good. And I think you can, uh, use that to build some cool like generative audio experiences. And I, I haven't seen anyone like really nail it yet. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Steven. Video, I mean, bit of a, it's, I feel a bit of a shill for saying video, but like video is the most interesting domain to us because I think it's kind of the ultimate medium. You have the most data in it. Um, and I think what, like, what brought me to the space uh, in video and what I'm seeing like developers building video is that for a long time, video AI was basically just surveillance. Uh, and it wasn't uh, that it's still driving cars. Um, but now I think people are starting to do a lot of things that, like kind of adopt video as a new interface to computers. Um, you know, like Snapchat, TikTok kind of started this off. Uh, but now you have the ability to put that, te- that technology in any app that's out there. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm starting to see like what kind of like AR or like video input experiences people can build now that the models have gotten really good um, just compared to five years ago when they were honestly pretty bad. I would add to that that my, my way of like... I feel like you guys are both more of like, what cool product can we build with this? And I'm more like, what code can I write that will not necessarily be useful, but will be fun to build? And so I sort of on that angle and on the more like, I don't know, like type of person that like works with Rust and takes the next next more time to shift something, but actually has a lot of fun with it. I've been just having fun exploring this whole like ecosystem of local models, which you can run with Python, but there's... Things like UGML and all these like Lambda.cpp, Whisper.cpp, things that you can run on your Mac locally really, really fast. And kind of like exploring what you can build with that. Both like, I don't know, I, th- I think a really good example of an AI app that I use every single day is just a Rewind, which just like takes a screenshot of your screen every two seconds. And that's not particularly AI, and they just like OCR and let you search for it. But the thing that I did recently is every time you join a meeting, probably this one as well, it will re- it will record your audio, transcribe it, and then at the end, just like pop up a little summary to the sc- to the corner. And it's something so simple. I feel like there's been apps to do this, like the whole like meeting notes into whatever since GTP three released. But I feel like the way that they did it were like. It's mostly local. All of the recording, all of the transcribing is local. They only send parts at the end to like ETP4, and you can probably configure that to be local as well. Like those are the things that actually make a really, really good thing with the uh, ETP4, or like the ChatGPT app on the iPhone. The transcription service that they have is actually like much, much better than the actual transcription service that the iPhone has. Um, there's also now like the teenage engineering cassette recording thing, which probably also uses Whisper. Um, so I feel like in my in my experience, my my the thing that I'm focusing on is first of all, like think ahead, like what is the infrastructure that will be needed in the future? That's like one of like you actually want a product, which I'm not that interested in, but it's also I think a big tip. Like when when GTP three started off. 
like the first betas, I remember gaining access to it when I was in college and I was just like mostly using it for essays when no one knew that was a thing. But like the, not a lot of devs were paying attention then or couldn't get into the beta. And I think a lot of the use cases that people were, could think like, hey, when this is more widespread, maybe people will need this, are starting to like, are becoming big companies now. And I think also Purcell maybe took a little time to catch up, but now is doing like the main role of like providing all of these AI tools and all of this infrastructure where it's like, okay, you have these super powerful models. You can probably not compete with OpenAI, but what are all other things that you may need? An example that I saw recently is someone that just like made a proxy and then you just like send your OpenAI request through that and then give you extra analytics. And it's like super, super simple API, but you need you maybe need analytics or you need to optimize things. So it's not something you provide. So you're just like thinking what is something that when capabilities get better, when like Llama 3 gets released, what are things that people will do with it? And then you can build that beforehand, and then the, the moment that, we release, that you, it releases, instead of starting building, you have it there already. Yeah, I mean, that, that touches on the, the kind of next question that I, I was thinking about what would be interesting questions for, for all three of you. And I, I think one of the things that, that we see, I mean, especially working with people that are really going from you know, 0 to 0 0.1 or like the very, very beginnings is they're there is so much opportunity, but but things are moving so quickly that as a builder, it's it's kind of like hard to, or maybe it requires like even like a reframing of, of how you think about actually like building something that can you know get some traction, some people to love it. And I know you know Stephen, you obviously you're at Vercel, you have this like huge kind of like window into you know what's going on. Rick, you know you have people that you're actually supporting to build on on Guru, so you kind of also are are kind of working hands on with a bunch of different projects. And Miguel, I think you yourself build like a hundred projects a week. So you know, like <laughs> um, I, I'm just curious, like, how, do you think that there are different like mental models that people should be having now for how to like you know think of like you know an idea that is that is worth building that's going to be you know actually able to kind of lift off of the ground, or, or is it the same kind of you know, just good old product building 101. The product building 101, like before I get to that, like what we thing is, uh, Miguel, I totally agree with you. I think the most exciting space, like as of literally this week is definitely on device ML, which GML and it's starting to take over. Uh, so starting to, I think, trend a lot and something we found ourselves. Um, I mean, this kind of goes back to your question. Like when we started this a year ago, uh, we had an idea of what we thought developers wanted and we honestly were forcing things on them like streaming video. Uh, and we very quickly found out that everybody wants on device for either price, latency, or privacy. Um, and uh, yeah, and I think that's like, then it becomes like, okay, like what's an interesting, um, there's like, okay, cool, that's an interesting problem. Plus, to be honest, like um, the AI space has been pretty gatekept until now. And as a result, the models are great, the infrastructure isn't. And that leaves like a big opportunity if you're like an infrastructure developer or backend developer to kind of build like serious, like Russell like tooling. Like we actually, Think of ourselves. We're trying to like think of like what would result for video AI look like. Um, that's how I think about ideas. I think generally is I just like to think of what is a problem that everybody thinks is X, but I know is actually Y. So like for video AI, like everyone thinks it's a model problem, but I actually think it's a developer tool problem. And then I like chase that down and talk to people and you know ship out, uh, do like pretty heavy custom work, and then you know trying to figure out like what what's the actual common thread among them. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I feel like one of the things that I did recently is I was like, I've like I'm I'm a software guy. I like to like run software. I, I deploy on Brazil. I have never like touched oil and like 
on my PHP days, it's like deploying via FTP to a server. I hadn't really touched any infrastructure. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to like buy a bunch of GPUs. I'm going to set up a PC in my living room and I'm going to actually get something working on device with like no help from anyone. And I tried that and I realized like, okay, you can do this, but like it's a horrifying experience. Like at any single point, I wanted to just like run away to like Bursa and OpenAI. And so like part of the thing that I'm building now and will hopefully be open source for a hundred builders is like actually trying to build something sort of like replicate. I really, really like replicate. Sort of like a thing that you can run on your computer that has like the same UI and the same interface. And the thing that Replicate has done that is really cool is just like all of these Python models that you have to set up the environment for, install a thousand things, all of those things. They just like throw them in, in Docker containers and then they use Kubernetes to orchestrate everything. And now Kubernetes is a big mess. And I've been trying to learn it to build this. And like, again, I want to run away to Brazil every single time. Um, but I feel like there's a lot of value in just like, feel like the, the ML person until very recently has been just like computer science people, not like software people. And there is a difference between those. And so they use Python mostly not because it's the fastest, but because like that's what the data science people use and that's what the libraries are for. And they have all of this mess. And then for someone to come and be like, hey, we actually have Docker. Hey, we actually have all these tools from this like other side of software, computering, that, like, we've built to solve these problems and, like, let's improve it. Let's actually reveal the entirety of, like, PyTorch on C or whatever. Uh, doing all of those things, now that the space is mature enough, you can still have all of the innovation, all of the papers are still in Python, but we can slowly, like, bring over to things that are more performant and more, like, ready for production. And I feel like a lot of the knowledge is just, like, hey, the people that are building these models, first of all, have no interest whatsoever like how they can make money with it is like one thing that I realized. All these people like publishing papers and organizations and stuff, all than OpenAI are just like science people that just want to publish their paper, get the credit on their paper, and then like move on to doing research. And that's great for them. But like, for example, like the Dream Booth people at Google, they release a paper and they just like went into hiding, never like built anything with it. And like a thousand people just like came after and were like, okay, I'm going to build like an AI author's app. And so realizing that your background is different from all these people and that all of your knowledge, even if you know the same as every other JavaScript developer, is actually really valuable in contrast to these people. I'm thinking like, what can I do? What do I know? What have I, why have I with the PHP and Laravel space? It's like very few people in AI are like playing with that. What can I bring that like the rest of the people around me don't have? I'm playing to that. I feel like it's a great way of like coming up with ideas and making the stack better. Yeah, I like the um, discussion around when during the, there's this quote that says like when during a gold rush you should be building shovels and not the um, I forgot the last part of it, but basically you should be building infrastructure tools. And there's definitely a lot of value and like you can definitely create multi-billion dollar companies by building infrastructure layers for builders in AI. Uh, but at the same time, um, I wanted to go back to what Miguel said in the beginning about the joy of just building stuff that interests you. And it, it, going back to your question, Joey, like there's, it comes down to what you want to get out of this. If you want to be building like a generational defining company, that sounds, people glorify that. People say that, you know, if you want to raise venture capital, you should be doing that. Or if you just want to build like a business that generates revenue, healthy cash flow, could potentially sell for a couple million dollars, that if you want to do that, you could potentially just build. People, people say people make fun of GPT wrappers, but there's a lot of value that's being generated by GPT wrappers currently. Um, I, I saw this video interview by the creator of 
WordPress beginner, which is like this this themes uh, for WordPress. Um, and they said that you know if you want to, if you're young, you're a builder, you're trying to to make a name for yourself, build a GPT wrapper. I think that's something that will teach you a lot about building a business. It might not be a billion dollar company. People might question your moat, but at the same time, you'll learn a lot that you can definitely transfer later on to when you're building a much larger company. And at the same time, you make a ton of money. So uh, you don't, I'm, what I'm trying to say here is you don't necessarily need to build a unicorn. Uh, you can always be building something that generates cash flow um, and that's something that you can sell for a couple million bucks. Um, and to do that, you don't you don't really need to go down to like the infrastructure layer. Um, so trying to provide like a counterpoint here, but totally agree with what what you guys were saying here. So, I think to that point, something that is also interesting to think is like we are on developer space. We're like in the bleeding edge of all of the models, seeing them on Twitter every day. There's people that like don't even know that ChatGPT is a thing. Like something that I've learned from like Peter Levo, Levels and all these people that are like building AI tools more for like quote unquote regular people is that you can like build a GPT wrapper, you can even like have a prompt and just like that can provide a lot of value to people that like that can save time, that don't have time coming up with that prompt, that like figuring out how to talk to the AI. So even if you have a very simple, like I think on the original GTP3 release, one of the companies that made it was a bunch of headline and a bunch of others were just GPT wrappers that help you come up with titles and like generate content for like blog posts or whatever. And that made a shit ton of money. And like it was calling to a, to a, to OpenAI with like a bunch of prompts. And that can be very valuable for people because everyone has access to ChatGPT now for free if they want to, but not everyone knows how to talk to it, what to ask. And you, you can have a lot of knowledge and you don't even have to train your own models. Just like providing an nice UI, if you're targeting the right people, this probably doesn't work as well for developers, but like if you're targeting the right people, you can absolutely make it with just like a nice UI, three buttons, and like a prompt and GPT wrapper. I agree with you, uh, what you're saying too, where it's like... Um, it, like building apps, like the GPT wrapper, you'll learn a lot as well too. Uh, like you know, even stuff that on the surface feels like a GPT wrapper. Uh, like uh, um, uh, you know, even for us, like we didn't start off by building infrastructure. Like what we started off with was we wanted to build like video AI apps, and in the process, we discovered like what Miguel was saying, discovered some you know gaps in the developer tool chain that we thought we could fill. Um, but we started off, but like I think like you know, we started off thinking we could just wrap a couple models and. You know, get some traction. Uh, like one theory I have in terms of like where to look for ideas is that I think every subreddit with more than fifty thousand members is can like can support a business. Um, like, there's probably a consumer app in that space that can support a business. And we started off with weightlifting feedback. Like, we were just trying to, like trying to learn weightlifting. It was COVID, so we were like doing a bunch of like YouTube video stuff. Um, put it on Reddit uh, and saw like some interest in what we were building. And then and then we made the decision of like, okay, like have you built something like, you know, like should we just try building a, a pick and shovels player or should we uh, just kind of like monetize this weightlifting feedback app that we built? Um, but you definitely like, I don't think we would have even known like head from tails until we just tried to build something ourselves. Um, and just like, you know, seeing like how the high users go to it. So my TLDR, like my secret hack for like, finding ideas is go find some subreddit um, that has like 50,000 users, but no like dominant app in that space and try building something for them. That's a really smart. I like the heuristic here. Um, want to touch on what um, Rafa was saying in the chat about audio, um, audio generative audio and whisper. 
I think that's that's a space that people are sleeping on sleeping on right now. And if you are looking for like a different like a you know example of what you should be building in, um, I think generative audio has a lot of potential. There's not been a lot of like there's a lot of like mid journey and like generative images, generative video stuff. But audio wise, there hasn't been a lot. There has been a few. So um, and and the, the tools and the shovels per se out there uh, are getting really good. Like what we were talking about earlier, Eleven Labs, um, Element. Uh, the, we have a lot of really good APIs that we are actually trying to implement into the Vercel AI SDK, which is like this library for folks, open source library for folks to build AI apps. Um, so I think there's definitely a lot of um, hidden potential in that space, and it's probably gonna uh, get its time in, in the limelight pretty soon. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's a very interesting space that I would definitely recommend people to look into. Yeah, totally. I think there was there's a couple of generative audio projects in 100 Builders, and it was the first time that I've really seen some of those demos live. And it is it is kind of mind-blowing. I mean, I guess it's one of those things like you get your mind blown in AI like every few hours, so it's maybe not that cool, but it's still cool. Like, you know, seeing, taking, you know, some text converting it into audio, changing, you know, the, the speaker, like it's, it's just, it's the quality is, is really, really good now. So, and, and I guess on, on that note, I, I'm really interested in, I, I think for the entire history of technology, we've always had these like, you know, X for Y type, like heuristic mental models. It's like, Oh, Uber for, you know, whatever. And that was like a whole category of marketplace development, or even like before that, you know, like very early days, you know, when Silicon Valley was starting to like, you know, spill out into the rest of the world, you had like all of these companies that were like X company for X, like Y country, like, you know, and I think we, we had last week, we were talking about building businesses in open, open tech and almost like open source for X is I think it's like one of those areas now where it's like, okay, you have open source version of Calendly, you have open source version of, you know, DocuSign, like, and I'm curious, like, if you, so I listened to someone, I can't remember who it was yesterday saying, you know, AI in some ways is, is like new technology for, for old products. Like there's all these products that maybe didn't work or, you know, could be much better. And now you kind of can, can go back at them in a different way, or maybe like the cold start is way different. So I'm just curious, like, do you, do you, do you, any of you have like ways of thinking about like, are there categories of products that you could just go through, like hit the historical examples or even like existing examples and just kind of like pick pick off a bunch of different ideas that you could go out and, and try to do in a, in a different way? I think um, a category that I'm really excited, and I haven't seen anyone like crack it yet, but I'm still like looking at is the whole tools for thought category, like Rome Research, uh, Obsidian, all these tools. And I know that some of them, um, I don't remember the exact one right now, but there's like one that is doing a bunch with like whisper and transcribing and stuff, but still like, I was a Rome user for a while and I really like it except for the part that I like, I naturally do not tend to like write stuff down. So you had to do that conscious effort and you had to like do all the links and everything manually. And the idea of like having a second brain is great. I feel like the thing that is missing is kind of like, just like acquiring a lot of that context manually. And I feel like this is also where like rewind is eventually going to go where I have a friend, Abby, who is working on tap, which is also something related to this. But I feel like the idea of like, let's take the whole second brain space and let's automate as much as we can. Let's make it so that you don't have to write every meeting, every book you read, every article you read. So like all of the things that you do are already categorized and indexed there and you can just search through it. I think that is, uh, personally, something that really excites me because I would um, use that like 100% because it is really useful. Like I'm, 
building all these things every day, I forget about most of it. I've already been using Rewind a lot, but just like go back and see, oh, I had, I remember I had this bug like two weeks ago. How did I fix it? Things as simple as that. I think it can be used for a lot more. And so I'm, I'm excited to see how like kind of like intersection of this whole like record stuff automatically tools and tools for thought like run research. Yeah, for me, the uh, exciting spot, I mean, uh, like X for Y, um, the generative, uh, the generative uh, vid, uh, like audio stuff um, is interesting to me because uh, I don't think generative video is quite there yet, but audio definitely is. Like I, another heuristic I use for ideas is how much does it scare my girlfriend? Um, and ChatGPT freaked her out. Um, but Kanye West singing Hey There Delilah really freaked her out. Like she like shut the laptop down. So you know, so I think there might be there's a de- like definitely some you know thresholds broken there. Um, and you know, I just look at Spotify and um, Netflix, and I think there's um you know that kind of changed how we consume content. Um, in the sense that like it made it kind of made content a commodity, and you know, like we all I, I don't know how the stuff I listen to on Spotify these days, right? Um, because it and you can imagine if you can bring that cost of creation down to zero. Like, is that really what, you know, what people want in infinite scroll of content? Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's why I'm kind of interested in that space. It's like a net new space. And then, yeah, the, the other spot is just like, um, like video is the fastest story medium. Like we're all in a video call right now. If we could extract out every single event that happened on this video stream, um, what could you do with that? Um, and uh, I think that's just another, like, another like interesting white space to me. Uh, because like 80% of internet traffic is video at this point, you know, there's cameras everywhere um, and, and still the fastest growing medium, but you can't really do much with it the way you can with text content. It's like pretty much unparsable. Um, but, you know, I think what's interesting about AI is that it lets you, you know, parse unstructured data like that. And so I'm interested to see like what you could do with the really easy to use tools in the video space too. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of um, like the, the people pitching tools as AI native CMS, AI native, I don't know, like uh, intercom and stuff like that. And there's definitely a lot of value in that. And I've seen companies or like even indie hackers do really well in that space. Um, mo- most recently, I've seen stuff like SiteGPT, which is built by a indie hacker called Banu, and has been getting a ton of traction just by building like a like an intercom style chat widget on a website that people can chat with that indexes all of call content on your site. Uh, so there's definitely a lot of value in doing that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, I think there's there th- this kind of stuff is is there's a lot of material that's being that's out there that you can reference when you're building um, products like these. And I highly recommend checking them out and and learning how you can be building tools that differentiate just by having an AI native uh, approach. Um, while obviously incumbents can definitely um, take advantage of this and like add AI to their products, you can definitely get a first move advantage. And I've seen that through um, a product I built called One Word Domains. It's like this uh, a, a database of available One Word Domain names that people can purchase to, to for their own projects. And I, I was basically one of the first ChatGPT plugins uh, in the, that, that got listed on the plugin store. Um, none of I, I still think that I haven't seen like a registrar that has a plugin on the plugin store. And through that, I was able to get a ton of like initial traction and, and affiliate revenue. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a lot of slower incumbents that you can 
disrupt by moving fast and leveraging all these APIs that are out there. So yeah, find a space that's traditional, traditional, a little boring, not as sexy, might not be a lot of like new startups in that space and, and try and disrupt it with, with AI technology. So yeah, we're, we're kind of building like a fun little product as part of the program and trying to find a domain, which these days is pretty difficult because all the good ones are gone. So I was playing around on one word domains yesterday. It's really, you know, really cool. Um, I, I guess, I mean, if anyone, you know, has chats, we're, we're, you know, getting closer to the end of the time. So throw them in the, in the chat, but I wanted to touch on, I think Rick, you and I had a really interesting conversation about open source. And I think we have, you know, a lot of people in the program are, are kind of like, at least for the program itself, like building in the open, their, you know, code is open. And, and I think we're, we're trying to navigate, you know, our, ourselves and with everyone, like, you know, how should people think about what to open up? Obviously within AI, there's, there's such a, there's a movement, there's a zeitgeist around open source. I know that, you, you know, at Vercel, for example, Stephen, you guys are really big on it. You've built some really cool open source products, but, but not everything, you know, I think that's like the prevailing wisdom, right? It's like, not everything should be open. doesn't make any sense. And um, so I'm just, you know, curious, like, how do you, Think about that, and especially maybe if you're like early stages, like so if you're, you know, building something that's in the beginning, like obviously there's people are often more hesitant to open things up at that point because your your mode is maybe smaller and people could easily copy you. So I don't know, any kind of useful thoughts that you would have there for people that are building something in the beginning and, and you know, either considering to open it up or, or, or doing it from the start? Yeah, open source is, is a very interesting space because... When you're building, like there are there are two, I guess, couple of ways to think about this. So if you are someone like who is a devrel at a company that produces, like that's building like infrastructure product, Akami at Vercel, uh, it makes sense to be building open source products slash templates that people can learn from. So providing value to your um, to your company and at the same time potentially making some side revenue on the side. Um, uh, I've done that before with my my own projects and. My good friend and, has, uh, and colleague Hassan, who's also a developer cell, has a success with Room GPT, which is like this uh, open source version of, of Levels, Peter Levels, um, Room AI, I think. I forgot the name. Um, so, and, and op- like building stuff, open sourcing them can definitely get you a ton of traction, especially in the beginning. But if, um, if you're looking to build like a sustainable open source, they are currently like a commercial open source company, COSS. There has to be some sort of dynamic imbalance between the open source product and the closed source proprietary. Uh, it could be a managed platform. You can manage hosting and stuff like that. Um, uh, for example, like giving an example for Novel, the, the open source um, Notion style AI editor that I built. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about how I could potentially turn this into like um like a commercial, uh, build like a commercial component for it. And one idea that came to mind is is building some sort of CMS that uh, integrates Novel directly because Novel currently has a package, so we can easily integrate that into any any React application. Um, so building that, finding that dynamic is is incredibly crucial. Folks like uh, Cal.com has found a very good dynamic between their open source component. As well as what they're building in house, uh, Vercel Next.js is another great example. Um, and there's no like one size fits all answer to this. Uh, it has to make sense if you're trying to build a company. But if you're just like building for fun, trying to educate folks and trying to make money on the way, 
doesn't really matter. You can build anything open source then. People love it. But if you're trying to build like a long-term business, you got to put more thought into like the dynamic between the two. Um, any, anything to add? I mean, Rick, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to kind of pick on you a little bit because I think you have some really, you know, good thoughts on this one. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a uh, um, it's a decision that we're thinking through a lot right now, um, and like it's interesting talking like hearing Stephen um, talk about it to you because like Rizal's maybe like the most successful, right, or like one of the most successful open source um, a, a distribution strategies that there is. Um, the way that we think about it, um, so if you, if you look at like the AI devtool market uh, for the last like like as of this year, like ev- almost every successful tool, like replicate, like Miguel mentioned, and like and all these are open source, except for obviously the GPT API, which is the most accessible AI dev tool ever, and it's completely closed source. Um, you know, I think it's like as a developer, I really want if if I'm like if I'm calling infrastructure, I probably don't really care. Uh, and I do think like at a certain level, um, a sufficiently well-defined API is as useful to me as a developer as open source. But if I'm using like a framework or library, like, you know, like um, GGML or what Miguel ends up building around uh, on-device AI, I definitely as a developer want to like crawl into that code base and see what's going on. Like if, if my developers are my customer. Um, at the same time, I do think it's a lot of, it can be a lot of overhead. And for every Vercel, there can be like, you know, there's a lot of projects that you have to have like a mountain of GitHub issues and you have to hire a community manager and, um, and then, you know, the developers that come in through open source might not be, have that much willingness to pay. Uh, but in the end, I think it kind of all doesn't matter because I think enterprises really want open source. I, I think YC has been pushing this for a long time. I think the market's moved. And I think the reason they want open source is that it gives them a skate patch, uh, where they can self-host and it just is a good way to hedge your bets. So it's starting to become table stakes. Um, so yeah, like I think there's a lot of trade-offs, but, uh, and you definitely, n- need some capital i think uh or just like like not capital like time uh, slash people to manage it and take care of it um but it's very quickly becoming i think like table stakes for if you're building a developer tool and if you're building a database like it's really not optional like it seems like every database i see now follows open source model yeah i mean i wondered about that specific point like if it will change at all which is I think if enterprises want an escape hatch, I mean, one escape hatch is you have the open source thing, you can always, you know, fork it and create your own version or whatever. Another great escape hatch is just like a building or you have a really competitive space. So if like, you know, if you have some, if you're integrating some AI model for some, and there's tons of competitors, like maybe you don't need as much that escape hatch to feel secure because you know, as long as like the switching cost is not super high, like you, you have that safety. So I, I, yeah, it, it's interesting. I think a lot of these tools, like uh, you know, they have they maybe have an open source component, but if they have a great API and it's you know you know cost friendly or whatever, like most people are using that. So I, 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 it does feel like the the kind of balance between all these things is yet to be figured out. Um, at, you know, at yeah, large. like the TLDR for for us is like upside is Russell. Like that's how we think about it. Like upside is like it's like Russell replicate. Downside is are we going to expose anything proprietary? in exchange for customers that don't really want to pay. Um, but, you know, I think when you're a startup, you kind of got to be upside focused all the time anyways. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the point that I would have here is just like, there's like these, maybe no, this is not as true for like busy bug projects, but it's like definitely very true for uh, kind of like bootstrap projects. So if you like are also some of the people that are building here, which is like the whole 
a lot of like bootstrap founders like, recommend against having free trials in your product, against being freemium, just because like it will increase your support overhead a lot. And, and most of the people that you will attract with a free plan are maybe people that are not willing to pay or like at all, or like contribute anything back. And I feel like it's important to keep that in mind, even as we go into like the more open source stuff. Well, like, I mean, I love open source. I usually advocate to open source things, just like, unless you have a good reason to, because why not? But as a business strategy, you also have to take into account, like, are you giving more than you're getting? And like, maybe that's fine, but if you are trying to build a business and actually make this your living, that's probably not. Like, you want people to pay you. And um, similar to how, like, I don't know, like, it would be really dumb for OpenAI to open source it before, assuming that it could be run on device, which it probably cannot. Because that's, that's where they're getting the money to actually get the GPUs to continue doing things. And it would be, like, people want to use either the best model or something they can, like, run the cheapest, I think. Like, if you can provide, if you cannot provide either the best or the cheapest, um, people are just, like, not, I don't think they have a good reason to use you. Maybe it's because, like, it's the easiest to integrate. That could be another thing. But generally, I feel like, a consideration would be like, hey, am I going to have to hire a community manager and manage all these GitHub issues and like moderate this community and people are going to keep contributing things that then I have to maintain versus just like I am slowly running my product, people use it. Maybe I don't have the great marketing of tweeting like, hey, we, we just reached whatever amount of stars, but like I do have the ability to like slowly build this on my own without everyone like throwing stuff at me and being able to choose what I work on. I feel like that's an a good like opposite view to kind of like keep this in mind. Again, like if you are like a YC startup or whatever, go ahead. You can hire whatever. You just like want traction right now. But I feel like for people more like me or more that like want to start a small thing or want to actually make a living from this eventually it's it's a thing to consider, even though I strongly advocate for open source because it's great for me and it's great for everyone using it, but it may not be the best for you, the person that wants to make money out of this. Yeah, I want to echo that point by Miguel because it's it's such a glorified idea of open sourcing and like being this open source company, but it definitely comes with a lot of like support and like folks just trying to add stuff to your roadmap and you, you got to like, it's great to get their feedback, obviously, and I'm super grateful for the feedback I've gotten so far. But at the same time, it does feel overwhelming at points. Like just a couple of days ago, um, like folks were like complaining about the self-hosting guide not being done well on Dub, which I admit it's not perfect. But it's like people just have a direct line to your product roadmap through open source. And um, you got to find a way or, or be able to juggle that really well, the, the, the expectation of, of your users, uh, versus just having like a you know closed source product and maybe like a Kenny board, like a product board that people can vote on. Um, there's definitely trade offs in both. Uh, and Miguel put it really well with like you know if you're a venture back company versus like if you're a, like a solo builder, uh, it might make sense if you're a solo builder to just like build everything closed source and like eventually open source it, open source a small component of it as a marketing funnel. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to add on to that because. <laughs> I um I've experienced that a lot myself. So yeah, I mean I I don't know how you you I guess especially you and uh, Miguel Stephen, but you can move so quickly, right? And you can build a lot of things, and you've built a ton of open source stuff. But as, as startups, we're really comfortable with, or we think a lot about debt, right? And that's like this concept's been around for forever. It's like you build a lot of things, it becomes debt. 
And I wonder, like, does it feel because you've built something maybe years ago that like, you know, you're following your, your curiosities, right? We talked about like, that's the way to go. That's, you know, how to build. But and at the same time, now you have things that are like, you know, you built a while ago, maybe they're no longer your passion, or your curiosity, but they're still out there. They're still getting used. Like, I'm sure you're getting comments and, you know, issues and pull requests and things like that. Like, does it does it feel like that? Does it slow you down or kind of are you able to just, you know, tunnel vision into the future? A term that I've been like trying to put out there because I think it's like a really important conversation to have is kind of like the, I don't have a good name for it, but like the term of like Twitter project. Because we see that, that a lot in crypto, we see that a lot in AI of like, it's like someone going like, hey, I built this this weekend with Langchain probably. And I'm never going to touch this again. Maybe it's open source. Maybe I just tweet a video and I get a ton of likes and I get a ton of retweets and they never look at that again. And I've, I've been at fault of that myself a bunch of times. I feel like every, every one of us have. And that also, it, it's also not helpful for like the people that actually like try and go, I don't know, like raise with that and it's not even that useful. But like, I'm mostly worried about distorting the perception of the people that are like seeing that constantly in their time and everyone like doing all these projects and it's like, oh my God, it's so fast. They like are building something every week. And like, I have a job, Steven has a job. We are both of us not making a living out of the little things that we build. I don't think I could make a living other than like through Patreon or something, which is hard out of those things. Like that is completely different from like someone like, I don't know, like Peter Levels who has like five things and he just like makes them 1% better every day. They're not open source. They're like, he is building a business. And all the people that you see on Twitter making cool things are not. They're just going for Twitter likes and retweets and showing the amazing cool things that you can. Or as Steven does, showing the really cool things that you can do with yourself and how easy it's to make it and a starter kit so that other people can build on top of those. But like, that is not how you make a business. That is not really how you make something that lasts. And the, the slow, the few things that I want to make that I want to use so that are like complex things, like the thing that I'm building up for 100 builders or a bunch of other things are things that maybe take months or even years of working a lot of hours. And like, I want, I think this is very important for multiple reasons, but one of those for this crew is because like, you have to take that into account when you're comparing yourself to that, when you're like figuring out your strategy and thinking, oh, like, oh, this worked for like cal.com. And it worked for Cal.com, but I've also already seen like five or six different, this is a way to send your documents for open source. And I still keep seeing more pop up and those disappear. And what works for, like, there's a bit of survivorship bias, but I think you just have to take into account whether when you see something on your on your timeline, is it a sustainable project that people are like working and trying to build a business out of? Or is it just like a side project that someone is making on their free time and that there's no expectation for that? And make sure that you align that with what you are trying to build before taking any advice or feedback. Yeah, it's definitely really important to see past all the likes and retweets because there's a lot of amazing businesses that have no Twitter presence and do way better than folks that pop off on Twitter. So there's definitely a lot of, um, yeah, uh, it's important to like invest in other forms of marketing as well, um, SEO, uh, content creation, stuff like that. Uh, another thing I want to touch on going back to Joy's initial question of like tech debt and like building everything that your your users want. I Over the weekend, I saw this tweet um, that was really interesting. I'm going to share my screen really quickly. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys can see it, but it's this tweet about if Apple was a democracy and like how the phone is going to look really like bloated with a ton of features that their users have been asking for. So as a builder, as a founder, it's incredibly important 
to be able to balance between listening to users and prioritizing which features that actually uh, can contribute value to your business and product and future users as well. So um, I think that's this is a really powerful visual. Uh, it's something that I resonate with a lot because of mistakes I've made in the past myself um, of like just trying to build everything uh, my users were asking for. I ended up like bloating the product by by a lot. So yeah, yeah, yeah great. So just yeah, thank thanks so much for for joining. I think it's been really awesome to get your perspectives and 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 yeah, um, you know, we'll, we'll do it again soon. Awesome, thanks, everyone. All right, thanks, Jay. Appreciate it, Steve.